Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Nicolay Wealth Management Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Anthony Wilhelms. Excited to be here with you. And joining me are Mike Steffi and Adam Longlegs, Chief Investment Officers at the bank. There's a lot going on in the world. Mike, well, you can look just an economic update. Sure. The economy has started the year really strong, solid momentum. The employment report was very good. Uh, purchasing managers reports for both manufacturing and services were improving. GDP growth looks like it's gonna start the year at the 2% plus sort of annualized pace and then may phase lower over the course of the year. Consumers are driving the economy with strong balance sheets. So you've got good labor markets. People are feeling wealthier. You look, the stock market's gone up. The housing prices are higher. Probably over the course of the year, we'll see more layoffs emerge. Um, and there'll be probably issues around the election and sort of what that does to consumer sentiment in terms of seeing the political dysfunction there. You have to sort of factor that in. But overall, we've got a good start to the year. The stock market is reaching new highs. Large cap uh, equities have set the pace. S&P 500 up, cracked the 5,000 level. Small caps and international are lagging, but in general, markets had a, had a good start. The market continues to expect the Fed to cut interest rates in 2024. Uh, FOMC projects three rate cuts. The market is expecting probably five rate cuts, two rate cuts in the first half of the year, and three rate cuts in the second half of the year. As we've seen with, with uh, sort of that set of expectation, interest rates have rebounded modestly higher. If you go back to middle of October, a five-year treasury was yielding just under 5%. By, by the last week of the year, December 27, that got down as low as 378 and has now bounced back up to 415. So we've seen a lot of volatility in the market, but uh, sort of that pattern of, of going down and then bouncing has also happened with the dollar. So the dollar is up 3% this year after sort of um, cracking along with the interest rate differentials because of movements in U.S. rates. Oil remains in the $70 to $80 range. Uh, today it was trading at a little over $76 a barrel. So that's sort of the backdrop of how we're starting the year. I'm going to jump to some good news from Adam that uh, you mentioned, Mike, large cap stocks setting the pace. Adam, it's been a pretty nice finish to 23 and start out to 24. What's going on that's driving this? Yeah, Anthony, since the market bottomed, and we're talking about the S&P 500 in late October, up until, as Mike talked about, S&P 500 going over 5,000, it's almost a 22% return um, in just a couple of months. And, and really what I think you can point to is the rate hiking cycle is over. So if you look at what's going on in the economy, you've got inflation that's working its way back to normal levels. Long-term inflation expectations remain anchored, which suggests that the market has confidence that inflation is going to uh, work its way back to normal. Uh, you have a labor market that's uh, you know, consistently getting softer, uh, but, but still staying healthy. 
and then GDP growth, you know, the economy continues to grow and that, that growth has been um, exceeding expectations as, as we saw in the fourth quarter. So that's a pretty positive backdrop and, and you've seen the equities um, respond positively. You know, I, I think you know, a kind of an interesting question is what happens when the market hits an all time high? You know, what, what usually happens next? And the answer is it, it, it does it again and again and again you know it's it's you don't see a pullback you see that trend continue and so i think the market's looking at what what happens historically when when there's a, a pause in the, in the rate hiking cycle and it's been positive for equities you can also look at presidential re-election cycles again those are positive for stocks so i, I think um you know the, the market's positive and, and and another piece of that is companies are really well positioned they're profitable they're growing Look at how much cash they have. It's about 130% of, of where it is normally for, before COVID. They've got a lot of cash. Balance sheets look good. You look at the debt they are carrying. Um, you know, upwards of 70% of it got turned out when rates were lower uh, and doesn't come due for a couple of years. So, And then there's always the potential and, and talk of, of stimulus. So a lot, of, a lot of positives to point to. I love the optimistic Adam comments. Mike, I'll come back to you related to unemployment. Adam mentioned that it's employment softening a bit, but still stable. What have you seen for the last few months? and What's your outlook going forward? When you look at the employment report, it's been strong. Non-farm payrolls were up 353,000 in January. The number for December was revised from 216,000 to 333,000. And the month before was revised up to 182,000. So we've had good growth there. For all of last year, payrolls grew by 255,000 per month uh, during 2023. That's a 2% increase in the employment base. So unemployment is at 3.7%, the unemployment rate. And uh, that's been unchanged for the last three months. Labor force participation uh, remains steady at 62.5%. The thing that I look at is what are the weekly unemployment claims? Are people getting laid off? And the answer to that is yes, but the, the claims are, are reasonable and, and, and haven't escalated. And so when you look at this, the employment report is pretty positive. More good things to say. Now, Adam, bring us into the soft landing conversation. This seems like a unicorn in economics historically, but it feels like maybe that's the path we're on. Do you think we can sustain it? Yeah, um, that's that's the path we're on. That's largely what the markets are pricing in is going to happen. What that means is that inflation um, over time goes back to normal levels, which is around two over the next year or two. It means that GDP remains positive, which is what the consensus is. It means the employment market goes back to normal, which means there's a, a little bit higher level of unemployment. It means wage growth slows down and, and isn't four or five percent anymore. You know, the trend would suggest that continues. I think there are some things you can point to that give you some confidence that we could have a soft landing. Um, and I don't know if these are always appreciated. Um, you know, one is state and local governments, uh, that spending could continue um, positively and it could even accelerate. A lot of municipalities have money left over from COVID that, that they could continue to spend. Uh, federal stimulus, 
whether it's this, you've seen a lot of increased spending on de- defense. Um, we're talking about child tax credits, uh, R and D tax incentives. So those are all stimulative. There is upwards of six trillion dollars in in money market. To the extent that people are earning four or five percent interest, um, you know that that's a, a pretty large ability uh, to liquidity that they can spend as well. If bond yields do continue to work themselves lower, um, that, that would benefit. A lot of money is going to be spent on semiconductors. And then you have this whole private credit industry that's just exploded. So as you think about banks tightening, um, historically, that's been restrictive for the economy. It, it'll be interesting to see if private credit can, uh, you know, how that, you know, makes an impact this year. If, if that picks up the as the banks tighten and, and, and get more restrictive on their lending, if private credit can fill that gap and, and make those loans, even if it is at a higher rate, you know, what does that do for growth? So, yeah, I, I think, um, I think there's a good shot that we, we could see a soft landing. Man, all good things. Let's turn to one, Mike, a few people look at as a positive, we'll say, and that's U.S. budget deficits. And Adam had some commentary about uh, private credit and things like that. Obviously, that's the biggest public markets in the world is U.S. public debt or government debt. And why are interest rates moving higher? And maybe tie that into at least my knowledge of interest rates is typically when an entity of any type gets less credit worthy, like slowing down its growth, having uh, less ability to repay, in theory, interest rates go up. But it seems like the scenario we're looking at is if the economy starts to soften, we might see rates go down. And then if the economy does well, we would see rates go up. Why does that happen? with government well it, it happens because you've got all these different cross currents that are that are going on in the market as adam was talking about when you look at right now we've been seeing interest rates push a bit higher and it's because of the solid economic momentum the strong labor markets there's a lot of supply hitting the market both treasury and corporate and the fed uh in the past had pushed rates up so you've had that going on. Um, you still can see, so from a structural standpoint, we're changing sort of the patterns of trade. So there was a lot of trade coming from China. There's less now. That's been sort of nearshoring going on. That's a structural issue that has increased costs, which tends to, to push uh, rates up when you think about that. But longer term, there's this set of pressures that are likely to decrease uh, interest rates, and that's declining inflation, economic growth is slowing, we've got tighter credit conditions, stronger investor demand out there. And you go back to the discussions, Anthony, you and I have had over the years about the structural level of disinflation that's still out there because of the intense corporate competition, the globalization, which is changing, but it's still there. Demographic factors that with the aging of the population, technology improvements, and productivity growth. Those things all eventually push rates back down. And so the market's trying to absorb this and looking at it and saying, what are the cyclical factors that are impacting us right now? But then within the context of this broader, what are the structural factors that that we talk about? And so, yes, 
the if you look at it from a straight credit quality perspective, the de the deficits have certainly the financial position of the U.S. has deteriorated, but we also are the place that everybody wants to have their money invested because there's all these cool developments that are happening and they're being led by the U.S. So yes, our, our fiscal house is not clearly in order, but when you look at sort of the things that are going on in our economy, it's, it's really a powerful fact, factor that plays out in all of this. I appreciate the explanation, Mike. Adam, I'll come back to you with a question about profit margins outlook for 2024 with a little more specificity to that related to where will margins come from or margin expansion or contraction? Is it going to be top line, so revenue growth, or do you see uh, cost cutting to widen margins to get more profitable? Yeah, we're, we're going to see some, the sales growth next year will, will be relatively modest. But the earnings growth, at least what's expected, is is pretty robust. In 2024, expectations are that earnings are going to grow by 11%. And then in 2025, expectations are that earnings are going to grow by 13%. So an even, even more acceleration. Sales growth will be probably less than half of that. Um, you know, margins are near record highs. Uh, the, the market is pricing in some margin expansion. The other piece of that is um, share buybacks um, are, are, you know, pretty expectations are pretty aggressive there as well. Um, you know, where, where does the margin expansion come from? Yeah, it's, it's partly um, cost cutting. It'll be interesting to see if, if companies um, effectively look to reduce labor uh, headcount as, as a means to preserve margins. I think you are seeing some of that in the in the tech industry as things slow down there. You've seen a lot of layoff announcements, um, and so it'd be interesting to see what the rest of the what the rest of the market does. Um, a lot of companies have made investments over the last couple of years in productivity, whether that's automation or, or things like that. At some point, um, you know, you should see the benefits of, of those investments as they were made a couple of years ago, um, largely right after COVID. So. It'll be it'll be a, a mixed bag, but clearly earnings are expected to grow more than more than sales next year. That totally makes sense. Will you move us over to the energy space and have some comments about that, and then spread out into large cap, large large cap and small cap stocks? I have one more question that hopefully you can embed in that, which is how interest rates affect large versus small companies. So take that one wherever you want, Adam. Let's, let's, let's look at, um, I think it's interesting. So you got the Magnificent Seven stocks, which did really well last year, and they've, they've done well this year also. That's 30% of the S&P 500 by market cap, but they only contribute about 20% of the earnings of the market. So that earnings contribution relative to the price is about 30% less. Then on the other end, you look at energy. Energy at one point was 30% of the market uh, by market cap, but today it's less than 4%. Yet earnings make up almost twice that much. So the earnings contribution for energy relative to price is about 85% more versus 30% less. So financials today, um, as well as energy, look or kind of appear the same during this exercise. But the rest of the market, um, you look at all the other sectors, their market cap versus their earnings contribution essentially match. So you've got this outliers, tech on one side and then energy and financials on the other side. So 
I think when you see these big differences, that's interesting um, because history would suggest uh, that it's not sustainable uh, and in turn would suggest that energy and, and financials could do relatively well this year. And so specific to your, to your question on energy, um, you know, in the last two months, you have seen oil trade off its lows. Oil's up 10 or 15%. Energy stocks are about up about 5% over that time period. That's with the overall market up 8 uh, 8%. But, you know, you got oil trending higher. It's now in the mid-70s. Uh, futures curve, that is, is pretty flat. That, that's an okay setup. It's, it's not the best, but it, it still should work. Um, oil companies make money, and they, and they generate free cash flow with oil in the 70s, uh, with a curve that suggests uh, oil prices will stay around 70 in the future. Oil companies should continue to grow and invest. Um, with oil prices moving higher, uh, you, you, do, you do want a, a higher beta oil pricing that means smaller companies should go up more than large diversified energy companies in an environment with oil prices moving higher you know i used to live and work in in, in texas and invest in publicly traded energy stocks and, and so if i was still doing that here's here's kind of how i would kind of think about it you know, i would look to create and, and buy a, a synthetic oil conglomerate create uh, like an Exxon or a, or a Chevron. And I would do that by buying the best ENP, buy the best refiner, best driller, best transporter, structure that trade so it looks like an Exxon or a, or a Chevron. So you essentially create a risk profile that looks like a big defensive energy company and it captures those positive defensive attributes, but it has significantly more higher oil beta, um, which is what you want with this outlook. And then I threw on there a Texas hedge, and I, I doubled down on oil with oil and gas pipelines. I do that by buying a basket of, of MLPs. These are, these are oil companies that um, they operate oil and gas pipelines. They get paid regardless of what the price of oil is. Just as long as the oil flows from the well site to the refinery, they're going to get paid. The yield, because they're pass-throughs, is, is about 8% today. So you want that positive carry uh, to make this trade look good You know, if you, if you do end up being early. So that's kind of how I would think about energy. Well, Adam, hearing your explanation of that, I'm really glad you're on our team. I do my best to follow along with each of those steps, but uh, it's uh, I always appreciate that kind of perspective. Mike, will you kind of grab onto that? We talked a little bit about how interest rates affect these different types or these different segments of the market. And talk about how corporate bond spreads right now. Um, is it attractive right now relative to, say, treasuries and, and maybe lump munis into that mix? What we've seen is an interesting market in corporate bonds because there's been a lot of supply this year. Corporate treasurers have decided that the move down during the fourth quarter in interest rates made this a good time. So there was a lot of issuance in January, sort of record levels of, of uh, issuance. So you would expect that spreads over treasuries would be wide. The reality is people are looking at it and saying, Corporate balance sheets are really good. The spreads have remained really tight. So when you step back and look at it, you say to yourself, man, the absolute level of interest rates is very appealing. So you could get a treasury in the 4% plus sort of area. And you look at that and say, but my spread on a corporate bond isn't that much more. You're not really getting paid a lot for the risk that you're taking on. So I sort of bias and say, well, in that case, buy the buy the treasury today and there'll be a better time 
to, to buy corporates at some time down the road. So I think the, the answer is that absolute level of rates is attractive and you want to take advantage of that. And the better position right now is probably treasuries. Well, gentlemen, every time I talk to you, I learn something. I appreciate you both today giving us all this info. Mike, I'll turn it to you for some parting thoughts. Start to the year. And this is, as I was just saying, a good time to be looking at treasuries. And I think you can look at that and pick up a, a treasury note that makes sense. So I that's what I would focus on right now. Adam, parting thoughts from you. Sure, come back to the S&P 500, trading it at an all-time high. Um, I think it's interesting to look under the hood and look at the individual sectors. So um, the technology sector is trading at an all-time high. I don't think that's surprising. Industrials and healthcare are also trading at all-time highs. I think that, that's a little more surprising. But there are seven sectors that are not trading at highs. Um, they're still well below their, their all-time highs. So staples, financials, materials, they're all about 10% off their all-time highs. Utilities, consumer spending, energy, communication services. These sectors are 15 to 20% below their all-time highs. Um, and so I, there's you know, most definitely still opportunities, um, even though the market's at all-time highs. Well, I love the perspective. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Mike. And thank you to our audience for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon.